Is it slander or libel on a podcast, do you think? I, who knows? But, but it's not slander or libel if it's true. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life on tonight's show, we finally speak our truth. Welcome to Be Real. It is your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solomon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. My good buddy and my good buddies out there in headphone land. We've gathered to discuss three movies as a similar genre. We do it every single time. If you've listened to the show, you should be used to it. And if you haven't, welcome. But tonight, we kind of have a, we kind of have a weird, kind of an offbeat episode for us. But like maybe a little uh, closer to middle of the road as far as pop culture. Noah, what are we talking about? We're talking about documentaries made by pop stars about pop stars. Themselves, not other and pop stars. And in a stars. lot of cases, like maybe for pop stars. Because a lot of like question. personal axes kind of get ground, <laughs> grinded, if you will, um, <laughs> during that. Uh, some more than others, but definitely... You know, if you dated this person or married this person, uh, look out! <laughs> look out, man! Hold back. <laughs> if you were maybe a like a supporting part on that '70s show, like yeah. Duck, Duck and Cover. <laughs> yeah, if you maybe started a uh, suicide petition for a 12-year-old, then unfamous pop sensation, uh, look out! <laughs> also, you shouldn't have done that. So you deserve it. You shouldn't have done that. You are pure evil. Yeah. Um, anyway, we are talking about, uh, yeah, three self-produced music docs. We're going to discuss Demi Lovato's Simply Complicated. We're going to discuss Justin Bieber's Never Say Never. And we shall speak on Katy Perry's Part of Me. That is the trio for this episode of Be Real. Uh, Noah, you came up with this category. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, I saw Justin Bieber's Never Say Never was streaming on Netflix. Yeah. And then, so, so I was like harboring what I think is fair to call an obsession with Demi Lovato of late. I'd been following her on Instagram. Lucy, my girlfriend, and I have been. Uh, and we sort of like sent her photos back and forth. And we were like sort of obsessed with her. So Why? then um, I like her eyebrows and her like her her chin. And... <laughs> The fact that she's like very sort of, you know, in control of her own sexuality, shall we say. Yeah. She likes to project that image. Right. Okay. So I then like was Googling her on the internet and saw that not only was Justin's uh, available uh, from Netflix, but this one movie is available from Demi totally legally on YouTube. Right. She just popped through it on there on there and then i was like well what's another one and then we found well we first looked at beyonce's this needs to be noted that we looked at beyonce's <laughs> it has uh, to be noted because i've taken endless shit for it right we looked for beyonce's part of uh, the life is but a dream right but it's only available if you sign up for title and i don't know anyone who is uh and i'm personally not and i have the apple music and the spotify so i didn't feel like signing up for yet a third streaming service just to watch this movie that like not that many people saw when it was originally on hbo and, and the you, fact that it was a tv movie you can't rent it either on itunes or anything no like it's you unavailable have to buy it otherwise or sign up for title or right. but the and the version on youtube is so shitty like the point of these music docs is a certain like gloss sure. that is lost if you're watching like somebody like using a flip phone to record it from their tv so that's how we wound up here sarah and other people yeah if sarah's upset about uh, our lack of beyonce she may take to social media and complain about its lack of availability sure yes that's, exactly it's not on us it's Speak not on me or you about this yeah um, Absolutely. And so we then picked, um, because it's available on Prime for free, Katy Perry's uh, Part of Me. Yes. Um, and I don't think anyone is disputing that any of these three people are better musicians or more interesting cultural figures than Beyonce. In fact, the fact that they are not uh, makes this category uh, trashily interesting. Well, that's sort of interesting. And maybe an entry point to all three of these movies is that at the end of the day, I don't think there's any arguments to be made about any of these people, but in in terms of their like raw talent, 
I think it's it's very clear and easy to say that these are wildly talented performers and musicians. No doubt. But but the other like goofy thing that's sort of the other end of the spectrum for me, at least watching all three of these movies, is that like the music that they have produced and that has brought them to, you know, this level of fame is shitty. Right. Like shitty recording artists. It is very, it's, I think it goes from very bad to slightly palatable. There's nothing that I feel comfortable being like, it's quite good. Yeah. At best it's palatable pop music. Right. (laughs) At worst, it is just like mind numbing. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, it's still pop music, but it's, it's just like the stuff that you wish would change over and you breathe a sigh of relief on the radio when it's, it goes back to, uh, you know, whomever, JT, Beyonce, perhaps yeah. or Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but then the other thing we should maybe note is that these are all like, um, documentaries about their lives. Now they might have framing devices around like going on tour or cutting an album, but it's not like a concert. It's not like stop making sense or like that, movie JT put out about like the ten- Tennessee kids or something. It's not a proper concert film. And These it's not all... lemonade by any means either. No, it's none of those things. It's often like here are the, here's me and the people in my life talking about like how I got into doing this. Right. The, the key players of their climax of fame or wherever this moment has caught them. I think the most recent one, it was sort of interesting because Justin Bieber has come a long way in terms of like his scumbag factor since <laughs> since this yeah. movie was released. Like he was still a cute little kid, like selling out Madison Square Garden. Like he wasn't stealing, you know, ATVs this at this point. He wasn't like right. totally covered with tattoos. Yeah. Um, and Katy Perry has also sort of like gotten into all these like weird turf wars with the other women of pop music. And yes. but and started this is, trying to comment on politics, right? Well, if you and I want to talk about this too, the deeply problematic nature of of Katy Perry's lyrics, yeah. Um, but we'll get there. But yeah, but so the only really one that's up to date is the Demi Lovato one because it's sort of it came out last year along with her most recent album, um, featuring hits like "Sorry Not Sorry." And daddy issues <laughs> and dirty sexy love. Great. So <laughs> which one do you want to start with, Chance? I want to start with Demi Lovato because of the way you just said dirty sexy love. Yeah. Shall we? Let's get into it. I actually had anxiety around this interview. I don't know what everyone's gonna think. One thing I'll never stop doing is being honest. And that's the best I can do. Oh no, here we go again Fighting over what I said She was five years old I started to realize that Demi was gifted, not human, when it came to her voice Everything happened so fast All of a sudden, she had to be this role model And I don't think she was ready for that I was not easy to work with And then this episode happened Demi walks up onto the plane and I turned around And Demi had punched her backup dancer in the face all right, so Simply Complicated, as Noah said, is streaming in its entirety and in its full production, you know, hi-fi on YouTube. She has uploaded it to her channel. You can watch it there for free. Um, boy, did this category reveal to me that how little I know about pop music. I really thought that maybe Ariana Grande was the same person as Demi Lovato, and I've learned yeah. otherwise now. You texted me that this morning, um, and I was... I mean, I know who, like I said, I'm obsessed with her, or was, because this movie was definitely, like, a deep moment of reflection for me in terms of, like, who this person is. I mean, all these movies are. It's the the picture attempted uh, to be painted by the personality themselves, and then the movie that actually sort of unfolds. I also feel, yes, that like they all point to the weird time we live in, too, where someone like Noah can say, I'm obsessed with Demi Lovato, and still be like, oh, but her music's bad, and I don't give a shit about it. No, I'm just obsessed with her as like a, a personality in the world. But it's so crazy that that's where music fandom is at to me. They were like, oh, we, lo- we love her tweets, but like the art that she makes, I could care less. Right, exactly. Well, I, I think, like, some of her songs are pretty good. She's been around for a minute, and I find her sort of, like, you know, free sexuality, both in her music and in her life, to be... Like, I mean, she had that Cool for the Summer song, which was, like, not so subtly about, like, just trying chicks for a while. 
that and song's then sorry good. not sorry like it's that song it's, is bad i i like that song Ugh. You're fucking with a savage. I relate to that personally. That's how I feel when you like come at me with these like half-assed arguments for or against movies. I was like, you're fucking with a savage. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it gets worse. Well, one less lonely podcaster tonight. Um, <laughs> that we have to fuck that song. We could spend so much time on that, but we're not on Bieber yet. We're okay. still on we're still on Ariana Grande. Right. Um So Demi so Lovato. Lovato has produced this movie. And what we have to talk about here is that, like I said, she produced this movie and she controls the narrative of this movie. And what she is attempting to, I think, explain is her bad behavior of like preceding several years by giving herself like a three pronged sort of like victim narrative that she was like bullied in school, which led to both a drug and alcohol abuse problem and an eating disorder um, that she had come into this like real addiction to this lifestyle or whatever, as the pressure of fame was really getting to her and that she has broken up with the love of her life. One Wilmer Valderrama. Yeah. Uh, Fez of uh, that 70s show fame. There you go. And so those are sort of the three main chapters of the three main uh, acts of this documentary are the drugs and alcohol leading up to the incident, quote unquote, when for really no reason, Demi Lovato punched a backup singer in the face while they were boarding an airplane and then like got on the plane and like took a nap. How could you say that Shorty telling Kevin Jonas Sr. that Demi was on Adderall is no reason to punch her? That's right. That's right. My favorite thing about this documentary is those moments where Demi, I mean, it speaks to my out of touchness, but where there's like a, the documentary beat is like a bass dropping where they expect you to realize that what they're talking about is important. And I was just like blank faced. She was like, and that's when I got Camp Rock. And I was like looking around the room like, um, what is that? What's Camp Rock? And I think a lot of people know, but I did not. No, I don't know what that is either, but Lucy know, knew what it was. Um, but this movie also starts in such a, like a weird note where it's like they're setting up the camera and she's sitting on the couch, like waiting for her, like her, uh, her like close up interview. Yeah. And she goes, I'm nervous. And the interviewer who she has paid, mind you, to ask her <laughs> questions about her own life. Yeah. It's just like, why is that? And she goes, because the last time I did an interview of this length, I was high on cocaine. And it was like, dun, dun. This is my story, Demi Lovato, simply complicated. And it's <laughs> right. like, what what are you leading us to believe like your life looked like? I don't mean to be, you know, uh, a dick about it, but like you can be addicted to cocaine, sure. Like you can be addicted to heroin. Like these are things that exist in the world. But like her like rock bottom was like her drinking too much and like smoking some weed and mm-hmm. like taking Adderall. Like, these are common drugs that are abused by people her age. And then to, like, set that up being, like, and nobody knew. Like, of course, like, like people knew. Like, she's a a famous person. And they're all, like, the leeches on her celebrity. Yeah. Like, as long as she wasn't hurting anyone, they just let her do her thing. Right. And then to, like, make pretend that they, like, just didn't know. Like, maybe they didn't know what they were doing. But also, like, this is not that desperate of a thing it doesn't sound like that these people didn't like know about it sounds like she just liked behaving badly because no one told her no and then when they suddenly did she didn't know how to handle it yeah i mean there also comes to light that she's has is bipolar um, sure but i know what you're saying according to a uh, analysis that that's never i mean we don't see the person who has given her this diagnosis that's the thing. This movie, for the, even though it by far handles the heftiest subject matter of the three we're going to talk about, it doesn't show very much, um, which is why Sarah, especially, and me too a little bit, got kind of mad when they 
cherry-picked the footage of Amy Winehouse falling down drunk on stage from that documentary about her, which is like, you never see, for what's supposed to be humbling, there's no embarrassing footage of Demi Lovato doing anything, and then to be like, Amy Winehouse, who of course is a million times the musician she'll ever be, is just like, I'm going to find something of Amy Winehouse tripping on stage when she's like... And that'll be like the, yeah, that'll be the humbling moment. Not the, I mean, there's countless videos of her online, like looking kind of trashed. Sure. Like you don't, but they're not in this. And thus this feels the most, I mean, I'm agreeing with you essentially that this feels the most like orchestrated of all these movies. Well, and it orchestrated in a very kind of, um, you know, newfangled way. The other ones are six years old. This to me feels like an Instagram documentary. Oh, it definitely is. And I mean, it just cuts to like pictures of her, like looking sexy. Right. And there's like, they do one like close up uh, interview with her where she's just like in her underwear rolling around in a bed. Like mid at some of those like fillers that felt like they were just like the cutting room of ad shoots were like a very, odd to me like the whole breakdown of where she gets into the topic of sex there's like a lot of her just kind of like looking at the camera dreamily as if to be like and you know this is the sexy part of the documentary even though i'm not gonna talk about anything of consequence right and we don't ever hear any names of these guys she's like dating and i mean i think that's though Athletes. She's into athletes. Just in <laughs> case you were wondering, that's that's when I knew we'd never be together. She was, um, she, and she's like, I just think athletes are so hot because, and she paused for like a long time. Like, yeah, because their bodies are the best bodies. Like, what is right. what else is there to say? I think that I thought that the sh- most shameless moment of the whole thing was the one you could tell was inspired by her telling some editor, "Hey, can we have like a montage of like people saying that like." I'm kind of funny because, like, I'm pretty funny. That was and then they, not like, great. There was this, like, there's like a five minute sequence in here where it cuts to different people, like, saying, like, I don't know how to describe it, but she's, like, pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to her, like, making some, like, not very funny jokes about, like, the things around her. And then just, puns. like, puns. And then just, like, <laughs> brutally scaring someone who's, like, trying to do her makeup before she goes on stage. Pretty witty. Yeah, she's pretty, she seems pretty funny. But let me just say this, Chance, before we, like, harp on how not good this movie is. Sure. I think that this was probably the most enjoyable watch of the three because it is so shamelessly self-indulgent to a point where it just, like, becomes its own thing. I'm on a journey to discover what it's like to be free of all demons. When I'm comfortable in my own skin, I feel confident. When I feel confident, I feel sexy. And when I feel sexy, watch out. It's a thin membrane that surrounds this person's uh, persona. Yeah. Well, for me, like that, that illusion was broken, like almost instantly, like, cause there's this very subtle moment. I mean, this sort of speaks to the idea of like what the, you know, the, the artist believes we're seeing and what we're actually seeing as the audience yeah. yes. where she's recording her song and she like does one take of like, you know, and then she does it like slightly <laughs> differently. Perfect. And then, yeah, thanks. And then she, like the, she's communicating with the producer and he's like, well, you know, I liked the beginning part of the first one and the last part of the second one. And in a perfect world, we like splice them together or something. And she goes like, this is a perfect world. This is my album. And it's like, oh boy, we are in for a lot. <laughs> this, this person, uh, she's I, just very spoiled. And, like, I think doesn't she was a little care. sharper in that moment than you're giving her credit for. But um, yeah, but she's definitely like, she's like, it's like, this is going to be a movie about a princess. Yeah, but I don't Produced know. by the princess and her, <laughs> Starring her minions. The Starring the princess. But I don't know. I did feel like she most effectively communicated the fact that she really gives a shit about the music she's producing. Even if I don't, <laughs> I think she really legitimately cares. Um, I kind of felt that like she, well, to varying degrees, all these people need therapy, right? 
Oh, yeah. And that that life coach that she has is, like, not doing the best job. So I watched this with Sarah, my yeah. my partner, who is a uh, a mental health counselor. Is and that we how were, you're identifying now, as partner? I, I often identify that way. That's but nice. If, if you would prefer I go with the less politically correct girlfriend, I can. Um, <laughs> The princess. Um, <laughs> I was watching with her, and we were just picking up on these little phrases where she she started a sentence. One goal I haven't accomplished yet is, and it's just like, hold on, that's the way that like a person who just like lines up things in their life and smashes them, like looks at the world. <laughs> I would never phrase something. One goal I haven't accomplished yet is. It's like not a person who's like searching for a lot of. Um, What's well, it's the way a person thinks when they don't have to struggle with anything other than their own ego. I, I, she seems like she's struggling with a lot, but nobody's helping her in the right ways. But she's not struggling with like everyday things. She's not struggling with like paying the bills or like the meaning of know, her like, existence. Right. She's just struggling with like, what's my next on my to-do list? Oh, like becoming proficient in jujitsu. Like, <laughs> let's do it. And then Which, you cut to the therapist. Just like, I've been trying to get her into jujitsu. I think she'd love it. Yeah. And it's the, like, okay, but maybe she should deal with like her intimacy issues and her like game playing. And the fact that she like, has no real sense of self. Do you think a person who is effectively going to therapy would utter the sentence, I'm on a journey to feel what it's like to be free of all demons. Yeah. And it's like juxtaposed with her, like punching, like in this very like music video way, this like beautiful, uh, like karate instructor who starts weeping, who starts weeping when she talks about, Working with her Demi Lovato into her 30s and perhaps making a black belt someday. I could watch the workout sequence forever. I think it's the best side road of the movie. It's just rich people dealing with rich people problems. Sure. And it's, well, this and it's is, great. Do you and I watch any reality TV? No, I don't. I haven't watched I don't, I don't uh, either. reality TV since womp, womp, The Apprentice. So I feel like you and I watching you know, five and a half hours of these is kind of us coming to grips with like stuff that normal people who like might watch the Kardashians every Sunday kind of deal with, which is these lines between authenticity and fakeness and, uh, you know, intentional, knowledgeable fakeness. But like, I never confront them. And so I watch these movies and I get like deeply uncomfortable and unsure about what's real. Yeah. Um, So let's turn to a rating on this one, shall we? There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings. Good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment. Good, good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. <laughs> or more recently, Get Out and Ladybird. That we know of yet. Good Good Movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That was the best movie I've ever seen. Bad Bad is easy too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician turned actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I'll pass. Or many Nicolas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. Bad Bad movies make Chance say, I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or awards bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud. Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. They're anything from flawed but charming Nancy Myers outings. I'm miraculously done being in love with you! To late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China or Stargate. It's all in the reflexes. 
Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says, But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth. These are going to be tough for me, Noah, to rate. They're going to be very easy for me. (laughs) I don't have any choice but to give this a bad bad. Because I, I res- understand and respect that. I don't. I mean, I I don't want to spoil this, but like, I'm not rewatching any of these films that we <laughs> that we watched today. So in some ways, the best they can be is good bad. I think this one is so kind of weirdly put together. Like someone who is, you know, thinks they're writing their opus, but set to like EDM drops. Um, I just can't give it anything but a bad, bad. I didn't hate it. I thank I thank her for making it an hour and 15 minutes. If it had been any longer, I would have, uh, you know, snorted some Adderall and punched somebody in the face. But um, there you go. It's a bad, bad. Can I remind you also, I've discovered in my notes here that the, the joke that Demi makes when she professes to being so witty is seeing a dam out the window of her car <laughs> and saying damn. Yeah, that's true. That happened. And you're rating I think that this movie of the genre here, I have to make an embarrassing confession to you, Chance. Yeah? I have watched this movie twice. What? Leading up to leading up to our recording. And I also watched the Justin Bieber one twice. Were you trying to make sure it wasn't about Ariana Grande? Why did you do that? I well, I thought it was very watchable. Oh. I thought it was I think it's pretty entertaining. And if you're looking for that like fix of trashy sort of like musician behind the scenes stuff. I thought it, it checked off that box for me in terms of filmmaking quality. This is <laughs> not a good movie. Uh, so I think for this genre, it's quintessential bad. Good. I think I'd rather watch Mudbound over and over and over again than watch this again. But that just That's- speaks to where I'm coming from. That's, I mean, you're free to have that opinion. And then okay. it's not for everybody. Sometimes people like your opinions on things and some people like mine. Okay, where do we go next, buddy? The Beebs? Let's go to the Beebs. All right. Never say never. This is from what, 2011? Yeah. He is 16 at this point, but I was so confused because until his vocal coach was like, he's 16, but he doesn't know how to like take care of himself. I was like, I thought he was 12 the entire time. But that's the appeal of Justin Bieber, I think. Right. He's like, yeah, he's in, he's in his early 40s now. And we still treat him like he's 25. <laughs> right. Um, so I was confused by that. But this that's is on fine. Netflix. It is. It's old. It's from uh, it's from Baby and Sorry era Bieber, right? Yeah, it's like the real big My World 2.0 tour. It's the rags to riches story. He never had any lessons or anything. I knew he could play the drums. I never knew he could sing. You stay focused and you'll accomplish it. Every label said there's no platform for him, but he won people over. It's just crazy how it all came around. You sell out the garden, you're for real. So yeah, this movie it is the sort of narrative device is that it's leading up to Justin Bieber performing at Madison Square Garden on his My World 2.0 tour, um, and there are these interstitial cutbacks to him coming of age and like coming into his own, um, like being discovered and how that processed and his family life and yeah, leading up to how we got to this tour now. And then the climax is of course him performing with every musician under the sun in his, his final, you know, climactic show. Right. But Um, this one, so this one's an interesting, and I think this is an sort of an interesting way to make this kind of movie because you allow it to have what, what Demi Lovato simply complicated lacked uh, was a like present sort of, Conflicts, right? Where in Justin Bieber's, it's just the the strenuousness of a tour culminating in him having infected vocal cords, like yeah. days and hours before this big show he's been dreaming about all his life, and then you cut back to 
he was the only he was a, a child of a single parent who was in her teens growing up in like seemingly pretty rural Canada. Mm-hmm. And he against the odds pulled himself using technology and a dream to massive stardom. Right. Right. So you have these two dueling conflicts, but you know, they're both sort of interesting because you know, on one hand, he's going to make it to be Justin Bieber. You know, he's not going to not become famous. And then on the other hand, you know, he's going to perform at the end. Cause like, why else did they make a movie about sure, this? They sure. don't make a movie about Justin Bieber, not selling out and playing his heart out at Madison square garden. So while those narrative arcs are kind of silly, they do really lend a feeling of, um, production quality to this like when i talk about demi's movie being like instagram worthy it's not only aesthetics and it's like loudness and it's want to grab you it's that it kind of feels like here's what i'm doing right now snap and it's over and it's gone and maybe something else will pop up in the feed this is like more it has a lot more time and place so even though you're watching someone who has thrived and is thriving on the temporality of social media, it really takes you to 2011. And you think about the rise in the music industry at that moment uh, in a pretty effective way. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting too the choice of the voice choice that this movie makes in never interviewing Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is the star of the movie in so much as the cameras following him around but the voice in your head is that of the people around him sort of giving you context where you need it. And it's really more of a, how did this group of, it's more like an ensemble drama of how these characters like got there. Justin Bieber is almost like not the protagonist of the film. He's almost the setting. Do you think that this is more of a Frank Sinatra has infected vocal cords or do you think it's more of like, oh, Frank Sinatra's a little kid and I don't think we should like let him speak on his own? I don't know. Like, do you think they really didn't interview him like one on one? And do you, when did they make the choice? Because you wouldn't just not interview him. I mean, I've like seen him speak and he's not terribly like, you know, eloquent no. to say the least. <laughs> But it's sort of interesting, though, to not to have this be more about the people around him. Yeah. Because you have like on one side, you have like Scooter Braun, who's like whole like financial backing and his like career and his reputation is hanging on this this tour. But then you have like this woman who they call mother, who's his vocal coach. They call her ma, (laughs) but she has no children. She's just like weird and strict. And I'm a childless woman. Uh, yeah, she's a childless woman. But like, <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah, you can cut this out if you feel like it. But like, I feel like that woman gave Justin Bieber like the birds and the bees talk. Like at some point, like she just did it. Oh, and that's, I think that's a good take. That's creepy to me. Right. Like the, you know, like the single mom who like gets progressively like she's wearing wearing less and less as like his fame goes up. Yeah. And then, like, the weird deadbeat dad who, like, shows up in the beginning and then, like, had never been to a Justin Bieber concert right? before. And you're like, who's this guy? That's my son, Jason Bieber. <laughs> right. Ugh. It's true. I mean, his his poor mom, too. She has what I am going to term evangelical eyes. Like, just, <laughs> like, so glassy that, like, she can only focus on, like, things beyond. Yeah. It's troubling. It is. Can I like give you a hot take about this movie pretty early on that sort of speaks to my, that speaks to my, my opinion that they made the correct choice in not interviewing Justin Bieber is that Justin Bieber has, well, he has that swag and he has that persona and he has those like physical abilities, but much like a professional athlete, you know, they interview athletes after the end of like having like displayed incredible physical feats on the field. And they're like, how did you do that? And the guy goes like, uh, my teammates yeah. and God. And like, they, they can't tell you like why they did it. They're not, that's not their job. And it's yeah. almost like Justin Bieber's job is not to speak in phrases any more complicated than like this song's for you, girl. Yeah. And then like, that's it. <laughs> and then he just moves on. And so there, it's almost like the people around him are the only characters and he's just like the raw talent so seeing like this 
you know, it's almost like a, a 30 for 30 about Justin Bieber. I admire you for searching for a take with such nuance. And I, I agree with a lot of it, but I think some of it might just be plain and simple. Like this kid's not a good person and they can't hide it. I don't think he's like, what, what evidence do you, I was looking for it too. Like in your defense, I was cause like, he's a scumbag now. And like, that's totally fine. But in this movie, I think for the purpose of this narrative, they never make the case either on purpose or incidentally that he's like a shitty person. Well, of course they don't make the case. I think if it comes anything, through when the first thing they do when they interview his soccer coach is like, I remember Justin, he never passed. And so yeah, two minutes into the movie, you're like... wouldn't pass my son the ball. <laughs> He's like, two minutes in the movie, you're like, okay, so he was a only child and a ball hog? He sounds like a dick. And then he like runs around like slapping his friends and like, I don't know, I feel like... He's a 16-year-old boy. Like, what do you like? What do you want from him? The the thing that I took away from this movie is that like the character of Justin Bieber that like they have created to make you know oodles and oodles of money is like not something that someone with his mental acuity can withstand without naturally becoming just like a predator. You know, specifically, for example, the fact that they pulled a strange underage girl from the crowd, albeit a, like, a, mind you, a pretty, like, attractive one, gave her a bouquet of flowers, put her on a stool in the middle of the stage, and Justin Bieber, like, touches her and, like, every gets night. And every night, a new girl, and, like, tells her he's, like, she's not gonna be a lonely girl anymore. Like, it's very predatory. This is by far the movie to to that point with like the most psychological fuckery going on because it's full of like 32 year olds who are so excited to be hanging out with Justin Bieber, a 16 year old who acts like a 12 year old. And it's just like my favorite. I think my favorite character in the film is uh, who I'll call uh, cocaine Adam Pally, (laughs) who's just like who's just like the jester. He's like just there to make Justin swagger coach. His like yeah, he's like his stylist and like, you know, main bro. Yeah, but he's like our age, and he's like pretending to be out of his gourd, excited to hang out with Justin Bieber. Right, and then there's like the wise black security guard, Kenny. Kenny, who Kenny taught him taught how Justin to wear. About- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taught him about, about short sleeve shirts. He taught about short sleeve uh, collared shirts. <laughs> oh man, Kenny seemed nice. Um, but I just think it's such an interesting family. Like it's such an interesting family unit akin to like, you know, a Wes Anderson movie or something. Like there's something about, um, the, what did I, what's his real name? Like the, the cocaine Adam Pally. Ryan Good. There's something about Ryan Good that's like Ben Stiller from, uh, Royal Tenenbaums where there's like he's going through the motions of like trying to be good for this family but like ultimately there's like a deep sadness in him that I found sort of compelling. <laughs> that comparison doesn't work for me though because characters in Wes Anderson movies are always prodigious at something and all of these people appear to have frighteningly blank lives except for the fact that they want to profit from this kid. But I think, but then you have like good characters in this too. Like I think the relationship between the grandfather and Justin Bieber is like one of the more heartwarming relationships of any of these movies. And it's like interesting that like, you know, and saying like, you know, Justin was annoying and Justin, like, I'm glad he had sports because we probably would have killed him, you know, but then also saying like, we've tried to impart, you know, good lessons and hopefully he heard us, but like, we're not actually sure. You know, they seem deeply skeptical of, like, the, like, the mom even seems like, yeah, it was pretty insane that we, like, got on a plane and went to Atlanta. So this guy named Scooter Braun, who's wearing, like, you know, uh, bad Gavin DeGraw hats, like, put us up in this, you know, long-term hotel until, like, Usher brought us into the studio. But fuck, that's what happened. (laughs) And we're hoping for the best. But no, I think there, there are good people on screen and there are, like touching things here but i think it's also the movie is not afraid to show you how problematic this whole thing kind of is where's that part please say more 
I think the movie, like, in that it sort of holds on, the, it clearly doesn't have, like, the Demi Lovato, like, oh, don't show me when I'm a kid, and, like, sure, I'll hit the wrong note from time to time. Like, it shows real stuff, and it, it shows, like, him saying, like, the, the soccer coach saying, like, yeah, he's kind of a ball hog and was always kind of a showboat. But then you see him as, like, a little leaguer, like, you know, just, like, being a goofy, like, fuck-up kid, like, doing this little dance to the, the national anthem or whatever. You know, it's kind of funny, but and it has an edge to it. And I think it, I was not surprised that Justin has become like who he is in the world because of this movie, you know? Yeah. He's a human being. And the movie gives him credit for being, like it even has like that sort of like cello in a minor key when it's like the girls becoming obsessed with him and how weird it is that that mall had to like shut down for a fire code violation. Like it doesn't play that for, it doesn't play that. It shows the level of obsession. And I think it is well aware that it's creepy. I, but the, the movie pretends that that obsession exists in a vacuum and will say nothing of the fact that the, the song One Less Lonely Girl is engineered every night to convince people younger than Justin Bieber, who are already sad and alienated by the internet, that like if they can just be the one person he pulls up on stage and gives a bouquet to and runs his fingers down their cheek, that they'll be like happy that night. Like, there is so much fucking mind fuckery in here that is not inherent, that is not, not inherent to... <laughs> Like the Ed Sullivan show of 1962. Well, yeah, I'm just saying there's nothing different between like Bieber mania and Beatle mania. There's nothing different between like, you know, I thought it was a really telling moment where they were interviewing that mom with her daughter. And she's like, my first concert was Thriller, Michael Jackson with my mother. And this is going to be the first concert for my daughter. I mean, it's an interesting comparison. You know, he's no different than like an Elvis Presley, like a guy singing pretty easy to digest pop songs who thrusts hips and touches the girls. And one of them gets pulled out. Not all of them. They're not all getting touched. Just one, one less lonely girl. And then they like, you know, they give her a little hush, hush money on the way back to her friends in the pit. And you know, everything's fine, but it's a dark system. It's like seeing how they pull, seeing how they pull the girl out. Like they were clearly like, cherry picking like kind of pretty but not too pretty girls Mm -hmm. like there's a very specific lonely girl but you see that process yeah but they think they think that that's scooter braun even says like i'm the corny one this is my version of giving back feeding into the psychosis of a bunch of people you're manipulating is not giving back also justin bieber is so much worse than Michael Jackson and Elvis Presley and the Beatles. Sure, but it's no like the the sort of celebrity around him is no different. You're right. But I I mean he's doing dance moves though that the Beatles never would have attempted that rival I would say Michael Jackson. He's as talented a performer as any of the greats, I would say. He's an unbelievable vocal range that he can sing that and not lip sing, mind you, while he does all these moves and like flies across with that little heart thing. I think he's very talented. I think his move, his music's terrible, (laughs) but I think he's like a very talented performer. I think to myself, I was once chilling in my room, just in a regular place. And now I'm in this big world. It's just crazy how it all came around. But I think this movie has like a truth to it that clearly like clearly final cut was with the studio and not with the like roadies. Okay. Whereas Demi Lovato, because she just put it up on YouTube, could make like any sort of Instagram bullshit that she wants to. With this one, they were trying to make something a little bit more because it had a theatrical release and a successful one. Yeah. So I think if we can turn here... This movie of the of the genre is a good good. I can't give it anything but a bad bad. First of all, an hour and fifty five minutes is so long for one of these movies, brutally long. And also, I think that in I mean, this, this is a subjective point, but anytime you watch one of these, it's like the person you want to hang out with most is the one you'll enjoy the most, and the person you want to hang out with least is probably the one you'll enjoy the least, and like. I just couldn't stand him. And I feel like there was still, I know what you're saying about Final Cut, and I agree with that. But I feel like even the, 
you know, the the dollar signs are like even blinding the editorial oversight of the studio. Like that point when Ellie reads, like I just saw him and I'm like, he's the Macaulay Culkin of music. And I was like, yeah, you're talking about is. you're talking about a thing that you can catch in the bottle. But yeah, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean the thing that the thing that L.A. Reid says. But in 2011, I would say like people understand that Macaulay Culkin like is a very like there are certain understandings that come with that that not are, are not all good. Right. Like, sure, he was a cute kid who had a lot of fame for like a very short amount of time. But then he like became a huge drug addict and like a total mess and then started a pizza themed um velvet underground cover band. velvet underground cover band uh yeah but what i'm saying to you is that when he says the macaulay culkin of music part he doesn't mean or care about the other half of that story which is unfolding now and will probably continue to unfold even though i know that justin bieber is still successful today and i hate that music too you know i think you're just biased because of your good taste in music oh thank you that's what i've been fishing for for the last 40 minutes have you heard the new waxahachie album i have not over here on the pedestrian side of things someone who kind of enjoys pop music uh yeah i think it's a good good i like pop music i thought it was a well-made in this genre of pop star centric movies made by pop stars where pop stars get to grind their axes this is a good this is a good one entertaining and well-made this is by far the creepiest of the three, by far the most, like, grating of the three. No, I don't agree. Katy Perry? Shall we excise this part of me? <laughs> I remember you talking about this movie in, like, 2000. Do you see this movie when it came out? No, but I, like, I really like Katy Perry. I like Katy Perry, too. Yeah, not like the recenter stuff. Like I gave up on her when she was like on that lion, like telling me to roar. <laughs> but like I liked her when she kissed a girl and like liked it. I have a weird soft spot for Bon Appetit, but that's isn't that the one about uh, Cunnilingus? Oh yeah, nice. Um, Show me your peacock cock 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 <laughs> chance. She's always been one for subtlety. <laughs> right. Um, so this came out in 2012. Yeah. Um, Can I say something that's yeah. horrible? <laughs> Bring it on. So this movie came out in 2012, and I didn't remember the timeline of it. And, like, I was going into this movie literally rooting for the fact that the timeline would overlap with the Russell Brand divorce. Because, <laughs> like, otherwise I, like, wasn't that down. Yeah. And halfway through this movie, I thought, like, oh, my God, they're going to be together forever. Like, this movie totally missed the divorce that must have happened, like, right as the movie came out. I thought that, too. But then, oh, thank God it was there. It hits a beat much more effective than uh, Justin Bieber's throat is sore. Oh, yeah. This um, movie, like, gets to a pretty dark place, I would say. Yes. Um, so, Katy Perry, this movie is very similar to the other ones. You know, it talks... It's closer it's, to the Bieber one in terms of, like, because it follows her on a year-long tour. Right. Um, so, and there's a lot of corresponding concert footage that thematically links to what they're talking about. So there's that production value, but it goes back and talks about her childhood and has a bunch of old footage of her singing and playing and being a kid. Um, but then it also has her talking as a talking head, like the Demi Lovato one. Um, and this also got a theatrical release. It's, it's, it's shooting for that level of uh, production value. Um, and the central things happening here are kind of like her relationship with her parents who are very evangelical. And then of course her first hit song was I kissed a girl. You have the Russell, the fallout of the Russell brand thing. Um, you have the kind of being a pop star is hard. You have that lesson that you have in all three of these. Um, but yeah, I think that, like I said, a lot of this comes down to like, who do you want to hang out with? Who would you want to get a beer with? And I would so much rather get a beer with Katy Perry than Demi Lovato and Justin Bieber. I would. Can we do marry, fuck, kill? <laughs> well, fuck Bieber. You don't even have to. You, even have to <laughs> you can use it. it that way if you want. Um, um, no. Okay. Marry, fuck, kill. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it. I think it's pretty easy for me. <laughs> yeah. It's super easy. It's almost insulting to say your answer. Everybody already knows our answers. Yeah. 
So this one is sort of the, <laughs> as this one is the, as Katy Perry is the marry one. Of course. It also, I think, provides the most, like, interesting. It's definitely, like, the phantom thread of the three. Like, it's, it's climax is not as, like, tragic or, like, as melodramatic or sort of maudlin as I think the other two are. It's just sort of like Carrie, or, uh, Katie can't get out of bed today, you know? It's watching Daniel Day-Lewis, like, have one of his spells. <laughs> the atmosphere I grew up in was you know, completely 100% Christian. Katie got her first guitar through the church. I just um, started to play the guitar. I'm a little amateur. There's no music, though. It's all in my head. It's in my heart, actually. Songwriting and making these records are kind of like the truth of who I am, what makes me laugh, what makes me cry. It's a mad diary. She knows what it's like to be those girls that are in the audience. She knows their language. Don't cry, don't cry. He says he wants to marry you. You're going to marry me? It catches that moment of her like weeping on her way to the stage and seemingly like unable to do anything. And then yeah. the plaster smile slowly creep onto her face as the lift takes her up from the ground below the stage to the stage. And I think that is a moment of finding uh, the lines and the kinks between performance and what's real that is maybe missing from the others. Sure. Well, I think Katy Perry is like the most interesting person without trying of the three. She has an inherent sense of irony to her. Like there's that old video of her singing God Bless America and looking at the camera as like a 10 year old where she's like rolling her eyes and like feigning being very into it that I think is inherently more interesting than utter sincerity or utter cluelessness. Right. I think what's affected, and I don't mean to be like the fucking like indie snob in the middle of this, but there is something about Katy Perry, and I did not know about these years that she kind of had between 01 and 06, where she was just in LA, like, trying to hack it as the next Alanis Morissette. And that guy, Ballard, is like, uh, and in that time, she just wrote like a quarter of a thousand songs. And I think you can, that is the thing that Katy Perry has on her side. I mean, her songs are ridiculous and problematic and all these different things, but they are rock solid pop songs, the majority of them. Like sure. in their framing, like Firework, I don't like her version of Firework, but when I heard those kids sing it, you're just like, this is a perfect pop melody. It's yeah. perfectly orchestrated. So I have a lot of respect for, I think, for her kind of songwriting, like, you know, get up and go. Sure. But there's something, there is something ironic about it, but there's also something that makes me think that, like, she believes that these are good songs. And they're not necessarily that. (laughs) Right. And she sort of, the fact that she has to get up and sing them every night, like, sure. When I say rock solid pop songs, I'm talking about bad, good songs. Oh, yeah, they're definitely. And I think one of the boys is definitely way more bad, good than maybe Teen Dream. Yeah. I really think Hot and Cold is like a great pop melody. That is a great song. Yeah. I definitely Um, figured out the tabs on that one back in the day. (laughs) Did my own little version of it. Sang it only to myself. Can we talk about, to that end, can we talk about the marriage to Russell Brand? Great. The, the movie's very much on her side in terms of who, yeah. like, why this marriage ended. And the well, narrative of the movie puts forward is that, like, she was on this fucking year-long, 365-day, like, 200-event <laughs> tour. Mm-hmm. And Russell Brand, who's, like, not really doing much of anything, but, like, just... For Arthur, excuse me. Preparing for Arthur and like still doing the press tour for Get Him to the Greek or whatever. Yeah. Um, you remember when he came to UNL? Yeah. <laughs> this was during that period of time. That's right. When he was being shitty to Katie We Perry. were like one three hundredth of the reason they broke up. Oh, definitely. You and I. She read the report. She read the thing in the Daily Nebraska and was like, this is it. Um, no, but Russell Brand is not really doing anything. So he like, but they're married. Unclear why. He's. They're not very affectionate. 
like at least as captured by <laughs> the documentary when he like awkwardly leans in and kisses her. But anyway, she's like the days that she has off between uh, shows that she's supposed to be recuperating. She flies 12 hours to New Orleans from Tokyo to like have an evening with him and then like come all the way back to make her show. Yes. Like, a day later. And it's like. Jesus, Russell Brand. Like, what kind of a husband are you? Like, get him to the Greek is not going to do that much better if you go to, like, another public school in Lincoln. <laughs> like, who cares? Like, like, just be a good husband. And, yeah, it turns out that it is, like, not to be. Thank God. Otherwise, this movie, because there's, like, this part where it's, like, you guys don't have that much chemistry. Like, stop talking about him like he's, like, gonna be your your lover even in death or whatever and obviously you guys are gonna get divorced i just hope the movie has the prescience to cover that aspect of your life and then of course it does and then it's almost like a it's kind of like Katy perry colon heart of darkness a little bit towards the latter third of this movie where she's just like can't get out of bed and yeah there was something so visceral about that scene where she's like crying and like can't and they're chanting her name yeah. and she like can't get out of this like pseudo dentist chair she's in so they can apply right. to her oh. like what is ultimately like the hyperbolized male fantasy of like female beauty yeah there's something that is kind of frightening but sad about her complex. Like if Demi Lovato's complex is like, I'm not receiving proper mental health treatment. And so like, I'm, you know, having a mania spell that's now lasting years. And if Justin Bieber's complex is like, I want to entertain little kids, but I have no genuine connection with anyone. Her complex is this fairy tale thing, which she is, is destroyed for her. Like she's an adult. She's like our age when during the making of this documentary, (laughs) But she's just like, I just thought that my fairy tale would never end. But some fairy tales aren't fairy tales. Like, you're not... I know that you're trying... You're obsessed with this aesthetic of, like, the 13-year-old dweeb. But, like, you know you're an adult woman, right? Yeah. And that's, like, the funny thing about her is that... I mean, she's definitely immature, shall we say. From the moment I met her, it was... I'm not going to quit until I succeed. Thank you so much for believing in my... Every single night is a whole new set of people. You have to really remember that and be grateful. The cuts to concert footage make more thematic sense with what's being discussed because there is no thematic difference between Justin Bieber's music and Demi's is not framed over a concert. It's like the best edited too, I think. Sure. This one's sort of interesting because it is the search for a voice. You know, they're trying to figure out, like, how to break her out into the mainstream. Right. And so, like, there's the... This is more of, like, a two-act kind of thing where the first hour is her, like, figuring out, like, what is Katy Perry? Yes. You know, nay, Katy Hudson. Um, right. And then the the back half is, like, what happens then? Which is interesting. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But can we turn for a rating on uh, KP? Sure. P-O-M? Uh- I think this is the best documentary of the three, and so I can give it, uh, you know, like a lukewarm good-bad. I'm just not watching any of these movies ever again. <laughs> but, like, I think for what it is, this is this is fine. I, th- I was coming in thinking that I thought this one was good-bad, too, because it's definitely, like, a well-made movie, but, like, I don't know that I want to get that deep with Katy Perry again. But the more we've talked about it the more i realized that i did really like it and like would maybe throw it on again so a soft good good from the end man (laughs) yeah i'm sorry i feel like we've been very negative um and i haven't i've been throwing out goods left and right that's true i feel like our the tone of our comments and our analysis of these people i thought this weekend was super or this week that we had watching these movies was super fun no, I think it was fun. I've enjoyed this. I just don't think I'm cut out for this category. Yeah. Okay. I'm not trying to be like, I hate Michael Keaton and I hate you for making me do this. I'm just saying right. I this is I not I just get my mentally exhausted sometimes being like, can we talk about like the handicapped protagonists of Paul Thomas Anderson a little <laughs> bit more? <laughs> 
you'd rather talk about the uh, handicapped protagonists of American culture. Right. Uh-huh. But yeah. oh, how let's beautiful talk about they the, are. Let's talk about the stymied adult children right. that, uh, that plague our modern society. Today on Be Real. I don't think Be Real Us. I Be Real. I don't think you're wrong. There's a Reynolds, Woodcocky, and Bent to all three of these people. Uh, they're all living like a walking man. <laughs> living like a James Taylor song. Oh, any other man stops and talks to be in his own documentary, but Beaver just walks. Beaver just walks. He has <laughs> no interest in stopping or talking. <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. I can't wait, man. Bye now. Join us on next week's Be Real for a two-hour special investigation of what Ladybird, Ant-Man, and Catwoman have in common. <laughs>